We're glad you're joining us for a new beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast supported by Harvest Partners. Get more encouraging audio content when you subscribe to Pastor Greg's daily devos. Learn more and sign up at harvest.org. Sometimes God comes through for us in big ways, in small ways, or we're in the waiting room. Pastor Greg Laurie has good encouragement. Are you in a place right now where you need a miracle in your life? In other words, if God does not come through for you, you are effectively dead in the water. Well, I have a word of encouragement for you today from the great theologian's journey. Don't stop believing. Don't give up. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Again you hear all the angels are singing. This is the day, the day when life begins. It's doubtful many of us are very good at waiting. What's that saying? Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in woman, never found in man. The stakes are even higher when there's great danger or discomfort. But today on A New Beginning, as Pastor Greg Laurie continues our study series in the book of Romans, we'll see God will come through for us, and His timing is always perfect. And the best example of His providence is in His Son's sacrifice for our sins. Heard the story of two college football players who were taking a very important final exam. Now if they failed, they would not be able to play in the big game that weekend. So they had to get this right. In the exam was a question. It was the last question. You had to fill in the blank. The last question was, Old McDonald had a blank. (laughs) Very good. I see some of you got it already. I'm very proud of you. Uh, Old McDonald had a blank. So Bubba said to his buddy Tiny, I don't know the answer. What did Old MacDonald have? And, and Tiny said, Bubba, you're so stupid. Old MacDonald had a farm. Right, Bubba said. A farm. And Bubba waited for a moment and then whispered back to Tiny, Psst, Tiny, how do you spell farm? Tiny said, Bubba, you're so stupid. What's wrong with you? It's spelled E-I-E-I-O. So, <laughs> anyway. How many of you loved to take tests when you were in school? You like tests. There are some, not, apparently not in this church, um, <laughs> somewhere out there. Uh, but I hated tests, of course. And the reason I hated tests was, well, I never studied for them. That's why. But I have a test for you today. This is a multiple choice issue here. I'm going to pose a question, and you have three options for your answer. And this comes back to a question a friend of mine has asked his patients. He's a doctor. And he says after he had done uh, the exam and everything they needed, he would ask them this question. He would say, if you were to die tonight, which I don't know is a great thing for a doctor to say, but anyway, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, and if he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Again, the question is, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, What would you say to God as to why he should let you into heaven? Here are your three choices. Choice number one, because I tried my best to be a good Christian. Number two, because I believe in God and I try to do his will. 
Number three, because I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin and I accept His gift. So how many of you choose number one? Raise your hand. How many of you choose number two? Raise your hand. Come on, number two? Nope. How about number three? How many of you? Oh, you're smart, aren't you? I knew I couldn't fool you. And that is the correct answer, of course. Why is number one not the correct answer? Because I've tried my best to be a good Christian. Because basically you're saying that you think you can earn your salvation. By trying your best to be what you call a good Christian, you will hopefully find favor with God and He will let you into heaven. Getting into heaven is not based on what you've done for God. It's based on what God has done for you. And by the way, I don't even like the phrase good Christian. Oh, he's a good Christian. I don't know that I'm a good Christian. Am I a struggling Christian? Yes. Are there times when I'm a bad Christian? Yes. Am I a good Christian? What does that even mean? If I've learned nothing else in Romans 1 to 3, it's simply that I'm not good. I'll tell you what I am. I am a forgiven Christian. So I, I can live with that. Okay, but what about number two? It's a little closer, but it's not really there. Because I believe in God and I try to do His will. If category number one is earning your salvation, category number two is salvation plus works. I'm saying I believe in God, which is good, but I'm trying to do His will. Well, that's not going to get me into heaven. And that's why number three is the only correct answer. Because I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin and I accept His gift. Ephesians 2 says, By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now in our last message in Romans, we are introduced to three important words that every Christian should understand. They're justification, redemption, and propitiation. What is justification? Justification means that God has forgiven you of your sin and in the place of your sin He has put the righteousness of Christ into your account. One way it's been defined as just as if it never had happened. Number two, redemption means a price has been paid for your sin. The Romans had many slaves. They would conquer nations and take people into slavery. People were literally sold down at an auction to be purchased. And so it would be like you're on the auction block and the price is paid for your redemption. Jesus paid the price for our redemption from sin and from death and then He forgives us and He adopts us. It's, it's like He comes and He buys us off the slave market, then He marches us down to the courthouse and adopts us as His son or His daughter. That's redemption. So justification, redemption, and now this tricky word, propitiation. Not many sentences you can work that word into, right? What is propitiation? It means to appease the wrath of. To appease the wrath of. So God had His righteous judgment. He poured it out not on you, not on me, though we deserved it, but instead He poured it out on Jesus. So Jesus Christ appeased the wrath of God. You could say God took His own medicine, so to speak, as Jesus drank of the cup. So Paul's conclusion is there's nothing we can do to earn or deserve this. Well now he's addressing the law-keeping religious Jewish person. The Jewish person that says, look, I'm one of God's chosen people, which is true. 
God established a covenant with us, which is also true. We confirm that covenant uh, through circumcision, that's right. And we have the law, so we don't really need to come through Jesus. We come in our own way, and Paul's saying, no, you come through Jesus. Those Gentiles, those non-Jews, they come through Jesus to God, but even you guys, with all of your benefits, still have to come through Jesus Christ. Well, they were not getting this, so he's playing it out. He's explaining it even further because they thought their good deeds, uh, in their case, circumcision, and attempts to keep the law would get them into heaven. Now, here's the interesting thing. Some people still believe this today, even Christians. Now, if you were to press most believers and say, do good works get you into heaven, they would quickly say, no, it's by God's grace. But in the way that they live, you would think that they believe that good works somehow earn the favor of God. For instance, I expect God to keep me out of trouble and answer all of my prayers if I do my duty as a Christian. I get up every morning and I have my devotions and then I spend X amount of time in prayer. Maybe I share the gospel. I've done my little duty. Now I expect God to bless me. And if something doesn't go right that day or I face some kind of trial, I say, wait, Lord, what are you, why is this happening? I did all of my little Christian duties. What are you doing here? See, in a way, you're trying to earn God's favor instead of understanding you have God's favor. I am not suggesting you not open the day with the word of God and with prayer and attempt to share the gospel. What I'm saying is don't do those things to find God's favor. Do those things because you've found it already. Let them be the overflow of a life with Jesus. That's the difference. Pastor Greg Laurie will have the second half of his message in just a moment. Hey, everybody, what are you doing this weekend? I'd like to hang out with you at Harvest at Home. What is Harvest at Home? It is a time of worship and Bible study exclusively designed for people that are viewing in from all over the place. So you can be a part of our extended congregation at Harvest at Home. Join us this weekend, Saturday and Sunday for Harvest at Home at harvest.org. Well, today, Pastor Greg is presenting a message called Don't Stop Believing from our studies in the book of Romans. Let's continue now in Romans chapter 4. So now Paul's trying to make his point understand with Jewish people. So he picks two iconic Jewish leaders, two men that were highly respected by all Jews. Number one, it was Abraham, who's effectively the father of the Jewish people. And the second was David, who has been regarded as the greatest king of Israel. So Romans chapter four, read verses one to three. This is the New Living Translation. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness because of his faith. So we'll stop there. The word credited is used many times here in Romans chapter 4. It's mentioned in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 9, 10, 11, 22, and 23. Over and over Paul uses that word credited to his account. 
So for the self-righteous religious Jew who thought that because he was circumcised he was made right with God, Paul is pointing out Abraham was credited as being righteous before circumcision existed. But we still do the same thing. And we pointed this out earlier in Romans. Being raised in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Being baptized in water does not save you. Reading the Bible does not save you. Now if you are a Christian, you should read the Bible and you should be baptized. But the point is we can cling to these things as though they save us. No, they're the outward showing of what God has already done. Because salvation is a gift. Now Paul shifts gears and uses David as an illustration. Look at Romans 4 verse 6. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. See, even David was declared righteous. But why? Because of the awesome stuff David did. There's a lot of things David could have boasted of. He after all was the giant killer, brought down Goliath in the valley of Elah. People loved him. They wrote a song about him. It was number one on Israeli radio for weeks. <laughs> he was like a rock star to his own people. Also David made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. He was a great poet. He was a writer of psalms. He was a musician. He was a warrior. He, he was a whole package. But that is not why God declared him righteous. He was declared righteous because he believed. Because he believed. And by the way, he had some serious lapses in his faith. I mentioned David and Goliath. Well, there's one other name that's associated with the name David. David and Goliath and David and who? Oh yeah, that's it. One represents his greatest victory, Goliath. One represents his greatest defeat, Bathsheba. And you know that story, how David was kicking back at the palace when the troops were in battle. He should have been there leading them. And so he was sleeping in late and he was walking around on his little patio there in the palace and he saw the beautiful Bathsheba bathing herself. And he was filled with lust and instead of repenting and taking a cold shower, he acted on his lust, had her brought up to his chambers, had sexual relations with her, and she got pregnant. Then he should have repented and acknowledged what he had done was wrong before God. But instead he tried to cover his sin up, as people often try to do. So he had her husband Uriah brought in from the heat of battle to spend a nice night at home with his wife. And he figured if they had relations together, Uriah would think that, well, that's my child. But Uriah was such a dedicated soldier he would not allow himself to have the comfort of being with his wife that night. And so David realized he had a do-gooder on his hands. So he basically sent Uriah to the front of the charge back in the battle and he was killed. So David, you could say, really murdered Uriah. So now he's guilty of adultery and he's guilty of murder. So he's done some horrible things. Yet God forgave David. And when did that happen? It happened when the prophet Nathan confronted him and David repented and communication was restored. And that is what is being mentioned here. How happy is the man whose sin is forgiven. It's quoting from Psalm 32. David saying, God forgave me of my sin and I'm a happy man because of it. 
Because here's the bottom line. A child of God is never happy when they're living in sin. If you call yourself a Christian and you are doing things the Bible clearly says you should not be doing and you're doing them over and over and somehow you've found a way to rationalize it and you've even found a way to think that God approves of it, you're in a dangerous place, my friend. Because a true child of God will be under conviction, which means they won't feel good about themselves when they're living in sin. So David writes, Blessed or happy is the man whose sin is forgiven because God forgave him of the sin that he had committed. And this is a wonderful thing. So that is quoted here in this particular psalm. Notice David did not say, Happy is the man who has popularity. He had plenty of that. If David was around today, he'd have more followers on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook than anybody out there. He would have been the most popular of all, but popularity never brought David fulfillment. Nor did David write, happy is the man who has prosperity. He had more money than he could have spent in a lifetime. But no, he knew what it was like to be tormented by his own sin before he repented of it. So instead he says, happy is the man whose sin is forgiven. David was not a perfect man, but he was a forgiven man. And because of that, he was a happy man. So now we shift gears back to Abraham again. And this is really now a model of how to hang on to your faith when things are really hard. Look at Romans 4.16. Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those of us who are of the law, but to those who are having the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all because God has made him a father to many nations. You see, Abraham is a model of how to have faith when things are looking bleak. God gave to Abraham the land of Israel and God made Abraham the father of the Jewish people. Over in Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse those that curse you and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. By the way, that's one of the reasons that here at Harvest we love the Jewish people because they're God's chosen people. And that is why we also love the land of Israel because God gave that land to the people. Now sometimes I'll hear people say, well you know what, the Israelis, they're occupiers in that land. Excuse me, God gave them the land in the first place before anybody else. And he gave them the city of Jerusalem. That's why I think it's a wonderful thing that the American embassy has now been moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, recognizing that is the capital of Israel. If God recognizes it, we should recognize it. And then God made a promise, a covenant promise. He said of Abraham and his descendants, the Jewish people, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse those that curse you. So as we bless them, as we stand by them, God blesses us as well. So then God said to Abraham, I'm gonna make you a father of many nations. But man, he was getting on in years. I mean, he was so old, Arp wasn't even sending him newsletters anymore. <laughs> he was older than old. But he kept believing God was gonna give him that son. God was gonna fulfill his promise. So if you're taking notes, here's point number one. Abraham kept believing 
despite his circumstances. Abraham kept believing despite his circumstances. Verse 19, and Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about a hundred years of age he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. But Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this he brought glory to God. <laughs> there was no way he was going to have a child at a hundred. No way that he was going to be able to, well, how do I put this delicately? Let's just say it wasn't going to happen. We'll leave it at that. And old Sarah, sure she was still a fox in her way, but she had never conceived a child before and she was past the age of childbearing. I mean the only way this would happen would be if a miracle took place. Now let me ask you a question. Are you in a place right now where you need a miracle in your life? In other words, if God does not come through for you, you are effectively dead in the water. Well, I have a word of encouragement for you today from the great theologian's journey. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Don't give up. God can get you through. He got Abraham through and he can get you through as well. So don't stop believing. They kept their hope alive. You see, they had God's promises and we have God's promises as well. Good encouragement today from Pastor Greg Laurie from his study called Don't Stop Believing. And there's more to come here on A New Beginning. We're in the early chapters of a fascinating study series in the book of Romans called Relentless Grace. Well, we're so happy to make available the movie Jesus Revolution on DVD. And, you know, Pastor Greg, your story, your personal story, your dramatic story is told in the movie. Yeah. You lived a tough childhood, but that story has touched a lot of lives. At what point over all these years did you realize your story was something to be thankful for mm. because it helped you connect? Yeah. Well, I probably discovered that, well, of course, after I became a Christian and I began to tell my story, I saw how it resonated with people. You know, we all have a testimony. Our testimony is simply our story of how we came to Christ. And everyone loves a story. You know, people can argue with the facts. They can't argue with your testimony mm. because you're an expert on you. Mm. You lived it. You were there. And all of us have the same testimony. In effect, we're like that blind man who was healed by Jesus in John chapter 9. And he sums it up this way. Once I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> so no matter what your background is, once you were blind, but now you see. I've been privileged to tell my story in a feature film expertly directed by John Irwin and Brent McCorkle, and it's resonating with people. And, you know, when, when I was growing up as a kid coming from a divorced home, I was more the exception than the rule. Most of my friends had moms and dads at home, and I didn't. And the funny thing is, even as a kid, though I had complete freedom, some would say way too much freedom, I didn't go home at night for a family dinner. My mom was working, so I went to a local hamburger joint and ordered the same thing every night, a hamburger, french fries, and a vanilla malt. It's the dream of a teenager. <laughs> but after a while, 
I got tired of hamburgers, french fries, and vanilla malts. I would go over to my friend's house with a mom and dad there and eat the food I didn't even really like because I found it so novel to sit at a table with a family. Mm. Well, now my story, coming from a broken home, is more the norm than the exception. So many come from broken homes, uh, to the point my mother was married and divorced seven times. So my home was perpetually broken. But God put my life back together again. God brought a message out of a mess. He brought a testimony out of a test. As the Bible says, he brings beauty out of ashes. So now I look back on my life, and though I would not wish my childhood on anyone, I can see that Romans eight twenty eight came into play, which says, all things work together for good to those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. So my story is a bridge to tell the bigger story. And that bigger story is the story of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so that's what this movie is about. It's a sort of set the stage for you. Let's say we're in a volleyball game. And, you know, when you're in a volleyball game, they set the ball up for you, maybe if you're toward the front, to spike, right, on your opponent. It's almost like we've set the ball up. Now you got to just spike it. The film is here. The heavy lifting is done. Pop it into your DVD player. Put non-believers in front of it. Play it. And it even has a special presentation of the gospel at the end of it that I filmed that you can then show them. And you will have an opportunity, God willing, to actually pray with those people to accept Christ into their life. Listen, folks, this is the greatest, most effective evangelistic tool we have ever offered in our history. And I really want you to have a copy. Now, you can go pay retail for it somewhere, but you can get it from us for your gift of any size. But what that means is whatever you send will be used to get the gospel out. And we do pay more for this resource than we pay for other resources we offer. So I'm going to ask you to be extra generous. Send your gift to support our ministry. And in return, we'll send you your own copy of Jesus Revolution with a lot of special bonus content. Order one now. And we'll send it your way just as soon as we hear from you. You'll get Jesus Revolution on DVD along with a free streaming code. And thanks so much for partnering with us. We're completely listener-supported. You can call us anytime, 24-7 at 1-800-821-3300. That's 1-800-821-3300. Or go online to harvest.org. The visually impaired sometimes trust a companion to lead them by the arm. Why? Because it's good to trust someone who can clearly see the way forward. Well, next time we'll see how we need to trust God to guide us because He knows what's ahead. Join us here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher Greg Laurie. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to A New Beginning. This is a podcast made possible by Harvest Partners. So for more content that can help you know God and equip you to make Him known to others or to learn more about how you can become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org.